0: Friends, welcome to episode 218 of Storyteller Conclaves, This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How're you doing, Rob? You know, I'm not too bad.
1: It's a little warm today. I will oh say that. My God, it's I... been like weather's been all over the place, but like it was it was nice for like yesterday and like our air quality has been crap, but like I did some work on Friday and was wiped in like two hours. Yeah, like I was outside for two hours and I was done. Yeah, yeah. I um, I did
0: a did the lawn today too. And then uh, rained
1: all weekend. And it's yeah. it's
0: like ninety two and super humid. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our European friends, that is thirty three. Yeah, <laughs> and and like eighty percent humidity or eighty five, S- something like that. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it so it just feels like you're walking out into the aftermath of a shower. With like a cooking light on you, yep, <laughs> the yep. whole time, uh, and it's been like pretty clear all day too. Mm-hmm. So like it's just baking in the rest of the house, which you know, God love good insulation, but still, it's it's a fight. Yep. My girls love sitting in the window though and soaking up every inch of that. Oh,
0: I bet it's a like sauna day for them <laughs> oh, all yeah. day.
1: Oh yeah, um, we had uh,
0: we had Sean's uh, Nova Praxis Savage Worlds yes, game that was uh, last wonderful. weekend. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Um it started getting a little crunchy, I think. But I mean,
1: we're we're literally stepping through a the rule set. Yes, that's the big thing. So we need word. to do all of the things to figure out what works and what doesn't. <laughs> we need to do all of the math at least once
0: so that we know where it sits.
1: You yeah. Know? So I felt that that was yeah. good. Like we yeah. kind of soft shoed last game mm-hmm. session into that, and to, this was the hard roll into numbers to see where the crunch hit sat.
0: Yeah, we we leaned on it real good. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think it held up remarkably. Uh, mm-hmm. didn't, also, didn't change the story. like, uh, man, I think, uh, I, I really think like the twist he threw in at the end of the game was just top notch. It was fantastic. And I told him so on the way no, home. I that was like, great delivery. So we, the, 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 bad guy is like a terrorist zealot who was trying to steal a piece of military hardware to do essentially what he's trying to do the, the, the Tyler Durden thing in, uh, in fight club where he's trying to destroy the, uh, the reputation, network server basically so mm-hmm. because it's it's a post-scarcity society there's no money but we have reputation right right um and so he st- st- grabbed grab this piece of military hardware he was going to basically destroy that we stopped him from doing that because we got the piece of military hardware from him And so he ended up just uh, waiting for us to call the cops and then slammed his ship into the cop ship and stole the cop ship.
1: Because that's what he really wanted.
0: And just warped off with it. I don't know if that was what he really wanted, but that's what he got out of it. And he did a really good job of turning his disadvantage into an advantage and still got something out of it. And I'm really looking for like seven game sessions in the future when we've all forgotten that happened and we're distracted. And he's like, another ship jumps into system. Another ship? What is it? It's a protectorate warship. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> not him.
1: <laughs> SID 55712. Oh, no. Don't tell me the last three digits are three six. Three six. We're going to die. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, welcome back, Zephyr Solace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or like, because it, it feels very expanse. Mm hmm. Like exactly like that right there felt very expansive. Exactly. I, I felt that that was a great was a great twist. Like, oh, yeah. You know, and it's. It sat perfectly. Mm-hmm. It its timing was good. Mm-hmm. There were some hard moves there, but they were totally not part of what we were doing. It was a good hard move. Yeah, it I mean... was just beyond our visual and on yeah. contact range. Yeah, and that's where hard moves should happen in, in in good flow. Sure, like I mean, it was textbook great delivery of a hard move mm-hmm. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. You always want them to happen literally two inches beyond the reach of the players but 100% invisible visible sight and part of the plot. <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. I think that's that's really that's a really great description like 2 inches out of reach of the players cuz they, they are you need the players to feel like they they they're present but feel like they absolutely could not have done anything to stop that.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um the one that I read after we talked about dealing with hard moves uh this was a long time ago in one of our previous episodes was uh when you see it on stage. mm mm-hmm. Mhm there is there there are hard moves that happen during operas they're huge yeah but oftentimes you will see them happen in such an elaborate and distant way that none all the actors will be somewhere else mm-hmm. phantom of the opera does it very well with them like at the top of the stairs or way up in the the balcony or whatever right they're they're so far away but it has so much impact what they're doing yeah. yeah you know and that's that's the way you want it you want it to be a sh a, a, a theater mm-hmm. piece for the players, mm-hmm. and 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 it, those are wonderful executions.
0: Yeah, yeah, it came out great. So, so yeah, I have c- congrats. So, uh, game two, still having a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, a lot yeah. of fun there. Yeah, we need uh, two more to be to to be on two, chain. Two
0: more, and it's a campaign. Yep, and it's official then. <laughs> Uh, we got my game coming up next weekend.
1: Uh, this weekend, uh, the, the, well, yeah. This this you don't get a whole weekend, right? week more. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> nope,
0: sorry. <laughs> you get to suffer. Uh, and uh, literally, right up to uh, uh, opening music. Here, you and I were discussing. Like, oh, God, what am I going to do?
1: <laughs> and you, you know what you're going to do, but there's there's idiosyncrasies within it. Yeah, yeah. Always. It's
0: it's it's. I've got I've got to like fine tune some mechanics to make it fun mm-hmm. and not just go like, oh, there's some things happen. Yeah. Isn't that crazy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think it'll be it'll be fun to talk about the uh, the delivery at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. So, today we are doing our Storyteller 202. Yeah. Um we are picking up from previous episodes where we've talked about villains and we're actually combining that with the thought pattern that we had from our uh, Building Plots 101 where we talked about uh, that you could build it from not only like a world perspective or from a character's perspective, but from a villain's perspective, we kind of dabbled in a little bit, but we didn't get very deep. Mm -hmm. And for this episode, we're going to kind of like hard focus on that aspect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think, uh, like I've, I've, I've seen this discussion take place a lot, even on our own discord, Mm -hmm. um, where someone is going to be like, okay, so I'm starting a new campaign and I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to go with it. And we're like, okay, what do you have so far? Mm -hmm. They say, all right, well, I've got, uh, a group of heroic characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And mm-hmm. I've got a really cool world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've got a villain. All right. And what does the villain do? Oh, he wants to blow up the world. Okay. Admirable goal. they they very clear definition of why the heroes would want to stop him. They keep all their stuff there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Love the tick reference. That's great.
0: But uh, why does he want to blow up the world? And the answer to that is, I haven't really figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. And... Now don't get me wrong. Okay, I I I am posing this not as a oh you guys are disappointing me anything sort of way. You know this never is not, at all, never, never at all. never at all. This is a very typical setup for a game, though. You get your heroes, you build your world, then you figure out what you want to do with it, and that's fine. That works for most tables.
1: I mean, most are hero centric. Exactly because. We we want to do something directed toward the the char- the players. Yeah. It's their characters. We want them to feel involved in the story. And unless we have in our mind that they have to fit in to a certain framework, like you did with Mages Guild or Fighters Guild, which mm-hmm. help us, or Shadow Run, the runners. Like if you have their drive already established, yep. it's it paints itself in many ways. But we don't always want to do that. We want to give them the freedom of being characters. Yeah, so absolutely. we have to wait to see what they're going to do in the world as people, like, initially, to mm-hmm. say, where do we put them? Exactly. Um,
0: the thing is, though, is that when you're writing, um, uh, you know, with that, that sort of hero-centric writing, okay, um, the villain itself is kind of left as an afterthought sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, or they really can, can be. Yep. Not always. Yeah. Uh, but, but can be left as an afterthought. And, like, their motivations and their methods, uh, you know, as well are not going to be as well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And what that can do, not always, can lead to some scrambling to figure out how that villain actually fits into the hero's story.
1: Yeah, and it, it can often feel like you're just throwing... I, I guess justifications yeah, that that don't necessarily fit, but they squeeze into the plot elements. It's sometimes you feel like you're looking at that, that age old video of the person watching somebody put the round blocks in the square hole. Yeah. And then the circular, <laughs> and you're just like, no, 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 that Where hurts. Where does the circle go? That's right. The in square, square hole. hole. <laughs> and you're like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like that deep inside. Cause you're like, something's not right, but I, I have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you don't. Um, and one of the ones that you brought up a long time ago was in in the world design of uh, Dark Souls. Yeah, and it was yeah. one of the, I guess it was one of the sad parts about reading the Dark Souls RPG game. It it actually was legitimately. Um, it, so I mean, if you want to be if you want to be sad, go back and listen to that episode seriously. Mm-hmm. We talk about it a lot, but the world is amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, I, to this day uh the world of dark souls and i I swear to god i have a point with this you do um is but you have a microphone and they don't the (laughs) world is largely regarded as one of the most like one of the best like crafted worlds Mm -hmm. um and that's from like a design standpoint Mm -hmm. okay um and this is what kind of makes it one of the most influential games of all time
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know any game that even kind of comes close to it is called a souls like yeah okay and, but it wasn't for the difficulty, it was for the world design, mm-hmm. you know? Um, is because it's the world itself is completely interconnected with itself. Mm-hmm. You will find yourself in a, you know, labyrinthian maze of, you know, weird, outlandish creatures, and then open a door and you'll be like, wait a minute, I know where I am. I'm at the back of that other castle. Mm hmm. And, like, if you look at a 3D map of the Dark Souls world, legitimately, you are there. It's not pulling shenanigans to get you
1: from point A to point B. That is really where you are in space. Some you know? some some curving of tunnels to make sure you get to where you need to go physically, but other than that, it works out. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why, like, Dark Souls 2
0: was kind of lampooned when it came out, because it didn't do that. No. um, There... <laughs> There's there's a there's a place in Dark Souls 2 where like you can see the top of the windmill tower mm-hmm. castle thing and you're like, "Oh, okay." And there's there's just nothing but clouds up there. So you get to the top of the windmill and then you get in an elevator that takes you way up and you end up straight up in a castle that is half submerged in lava. Yep. True story. Now That is the type of design that we're talking about. Is the the when when your world feels as interconnected as Dark Souls One, right? Okay, when everything kind of makes sense. Yeah. All right. Now keep in mind that Dark Souls doesn't have a set protagonist to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. In fact, it almost doesn't care who you are. The, The you yourself will be forgotten.
1: You know, 100 percent, which is, I think, why it is as difficult as it is, is because you were never factored into this.
0: Exactly. There's like (laughs) some gods that need to be taken down a peg so that things can finally die.
1: Is that you? Is it not? We really don't care. Doesn't
0: doesn't (laughs) doesn't matter, you know. Um, And it's all because they didn't craft the world around the main character. They crafted the world around itself. They made sure that the world itself was heavily leaned into its lore that everything made sense that everything interconnected and that it felt like one big living breathing thing and then you can just have you can interject anybody into that and it's going to be an amazing experience right because everything already connects exactly
1: um and And it's
0: once you're there it's so easy to tell your own stories on that canvas, because the canvas itself is so elaborate. Also, because
1: the story's not about you. And I think that's one of the better parts about creating a world and having having a world that, for lack of a better term, has a bunch of uh, antagonists in it that aren't dealing with you at all. Yeah. Like, yep. they're dealing with each other. That antagonism of siblings or whatever it is has already been there. Mm-hmm. So you're just part of this thing stepping into it. Exactly. So before before ta- characters ever hit the table, mm-hmm. okay,
0: we have, like, we've ensured that the villain's origin story mm-hmm. is in tune with the lore and the world building. Right. We've ensured that the motivations that that villain has for being the villain mm-hmm. are we- well realized. Mm-hmm that other NPCs that are related to the uh, to the villain are also fully realized and available?
1: Sure. I mean, you, you, the drive of a henchman to follow said villain doesn't have to be I agree with him. Sure. It could be I have the same needs. Or I, I find the same drive. Or I, I pity you. Yeah. Enough, which is, enough to want you to reach your or goals. Or I honor you. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember so many Dark Souls characters that we talked about where the only reason why they're doing what they're doing is because they honor this other person yeah they know they might be doing wrong but that doesn't matter but i swore an oath. i swore an oath this yep. is what i do now mm-hmm. and respect me for that at least yeah you know kind of a thing
0: yeah absolutely um it may be it may be an arrangement of convenience too
1: yeah very, like, very I, don't often.
0: E- I don't even like you but i kind of want the thing that you're trying to do to happen because i need that right if that happens fine um, so, I mean, think about all the NPCs that might that might go around your villain's backstory. Mm-hmm. You've got not only people that are on the villain's side, mm-hmm. and, and there's like we just discussed, right. multitudes of those. But you've got NPCs that stand against the villain mm-hmm. and hold them back. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got NPCs that are targets of the villain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: i.e., like the king whom the who the villain wants to overthrow. Sure. Okay, you've got NPCs that are catalyzed. The sorry, that catalyzed the villains' shift to villainy. Yeah, i.e., the temple priest that cast them out, causing them to seek vengeance. Right, you know, yep. That person's not necessarily part of the story in a direct sense. Right, they didn't want to create that villain. Yeah, but it was a, it was a, it was a meaningful moment in that villain's history. Yep, and that if you talk to that n p c he may have some
1: insight you know and, and i in a lot of the times when you're hearing about this kind of thing, your brain doesn't think shouldn't be thinking of this villain as a villain mm-hmm. your first framework should be what is you know what what does it sound like to me, a lot of times when we talk about these things, I think of something like the movie lady Hawk or uh or uh um uh Count of monte Cristo, where you have mm-hmm. heroes on a vengeance path, yeah. You know, they were wronged. They're making it right. And this is the only way they know how to make it right.
0: I was talking about Michael Corleone yeah, earlier. Same. Uh, from uh, from the Godfather movies, exactly that. I, I mean, know.
1: vengeance doesn't have to be your only drive. I'm just I'm just saying, if you're listening sure. to this, if those things are triggering your head, that is the right thing to be mm-hmm. thinking of during your world building.
0: Um, is, is like looking at your villain and going like, okay, what made them be the person they are? Like, mm-hmm. what... It, 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 people don't wake up one day twist their twirl their mustache and their you know in their 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 fingers and go i think i'm going to destroy everything today correct something drives you to that
1: yep. something a piece of
0: information sometimes is all it takes mm-hmm. something makes you snap something makes you do the math and come up with that calculation you know so let's talk a little bit about the heroes then in all of this because i mean it it, it can be a little daunting when you're, you're focusing so much on your hero or or so much on your villains. Okay. Okay. Right from your villains perspective. Sure. But does that then make for a good story for the heroes?
1: Where do they come in? So it's anywhere that puts them in conflict with the villain at a direct point. Sometimes that starts out simple Mm -hmm. because it's, 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 it's not an angle that they recognize. Um, but the idea is is that it can be any vector so long as it meets the reasoning for the, the villain. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, and I love to say this, shit rolls downhill. Oh, yeah. So an effect of something that the villain has done has now moved down the tree mm-hmm. and is now affecting this. What is happening in this village... Is a direct result of something that's happened. It's it's the the villain took over the mountain layer, which pushed the giants out. The giants moved down into the valley. The valley met that they the caves there are now being were occupied by the goblins have now moved out into the town. There are goblins in the town. There's your chain mm-hmm. that just happened. You know why it all happened. Yep, and you can follow that
0: chain right back up. Exactly. You've got oh well, here's our introductory adventure. We're going to be fighting some goblins. Why are there goblins here? Why are there giants in the goblin caverns? Why indeed? Right. Well, where are the giants supposed to be? Well, they're
1: up in the mountains. Well, they're all wearing heavy furs.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go check out the giants' caverns. Yeah. Wait a minute. What's going on here? And suddenly we've introduced our big bad
1: evil guy. And, And the villains can just want the world to burn that's that is legitimate sure. especially if the world needs to be rebuilt it's a, it's a pretty common a pretty common heroic trope of yeah. i want to destroy the world yeah the- thanos had it down mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but he had reasoning for it so just it, that's part of it um and it's super easy to put them in the opposition to the party oh yeah that's where you keep all your stuff yeah yep yep okay very <laughs> easy um so you don't have to tailor make anything for your group mm-hmm. because every contact point is a contact point with the players. Yeah, exactly. is going to be a way to make them feel like something bad is happening to where their stuff gets stored. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether they want to be, whether the players want to be rich or famous or you know whatever, they they have to deal with this. Yeah, because they're not going to exist exactly,
0: uh, and it doesn't really matter who the PCs are. No, um, you can. It's the great thing about having having a villain who's broad sweeping goal is very Thanos like is mm-hmm. very I just want to destroy the world is that everybody hates that so you can have a party made up of a lot of diverse PCs mm-hmm. if you want to run that type of like D&D game where you're just like yeah everything uh, uh everything from you know this to this is available just use these rules to make your characters i don't care show up with whatever mm-hmm. this is the type of villain you want for that you know mm-hmm. because it doesn't like Everybody's going to be against him, so doesn't matter what your motivations are. doesn't matter what you bring to the table.
1: Yep. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Um, however, yep. keeping in mind that if you do offer a very diverse group like that, mm-hmm. um, it allows for some really great player creativity, but it also can lead to parties where... You've got a lot of uh, disparate motivations.
1: And sometimes inter-party conflict because of that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Pulling, pulling the group in different places, or I'm playing a paladin and you're playing a warlock of the great old one and I hate that. Right. And
1: blah, um, blah, blah, blah. I, I often find the, the mixed party bag exceptionally hard to let the players wrangle themselves. Unless yeah. the players themselves know each other well enough to say we're we've got this sure we'll we'll stick together don't worry about us Mm -hmm. then it's fine yeah and you can get away with that so
0: um so you get your broad focus Mm -hmm. like that um and then there's kind of the narrow focus yeah okay uh so sometimes the villains you know make it personal sure um the party for this is going to need to be a narrower group uh, that would care enough about the villain to stop him, or be in a position that they're obliged to do so. Okay. Yeah. Now, we are not talking about someone who wants to destroy the world here, okay? No. When I say make it personal, I mean
1: I am causing a problem for you. Right. Now, that you, capital Y-you, might be something that is directly in the cone of directions that the players want to go in. Sure. You know, I work for the king, the king needs to die. Okay, okay, that's a direct vector. Like, you can't miss that, mm-hmm. right? Um, now,
0: will killing the king or deposing him or whatever destroy the world? No. No. No, it's, there's going to be a political upheaval probably. Giant you vacuum. You may not like what he does once he's in
1: power mm-hmm. or whatever he thinks he's going to do after he destroys the king. Right. But, no, it's, you know, the world will go on. But at the same time, if your thought is, is like, well, this person wants to, un you know, wants to upset magic so that it's no longer functions because magic is evil, that doesn't help when, like, two-thirds of your party are fighters. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be like, okay, what's wrong with that? And yeah. then now you have a direct inner party conflict of, of what they need to do. Now, on the other hand, if they're all guards and mage guild members of, you know, guards of the mage guild and mage guild members, they all kind of have a vested interest in keeping... Ma- you know, majory around, yeah, you know, and wizardry. So that that changes that scope a little, um, but it does make it difficult for you then to make everyone feel inclusive in wanting to be involved in that plot, and you have to then start targeting things that are adjacent. Yeah, sure. Um, so that it it has that same level of impact, you know.
0: I think I think a great example of this is one of your most often uh, cited uh, movies, and mm-hmm. that's the Three Musketeers. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, you've got the three musketeers versus the count because he targeted the, the king that they're sworn to protect with their lives. Right.
1: Regardless of their own personal beliefs, they all took the oath. Exactly. And the um, final part of that is to protect the king and the people. Exactly. And they may not even like or agree with the king.
0: Or they, each other. <laughs> they may like the count. Correct. They may actually agree. They, they may have, you know, they may say, like, look, I see what you're doing, and the king is kind of a dick and needs to be taken down a peg. Sure but I'm a three, uh, but I'm one of the musketeers and not like this.
1: Yeah, this is and not look, on my watch. This is not how this works. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. And so you you you're not in that situation going to get like a PC that sympathizes with the French Revolution, you know, and goes, "Go ahead, kill him. I see if I care, you know. You made musketeers.
1: Mm-hmm. This is the story we're telling." So In that sometimes narrower focuses work or guided focuses work, Mm -hmm. Uh, Shadowrun is a good example of a guided focus because, again, if everyone is working for a run and then they all get involved and they they are the problem because they know too much, now they are part of the issue regardless of their own personal beliefs because they are the ones being hunted to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. I often like plots where villains... Consider the players just just a, a, a side issue. Like, in the checklist of things, they're like, number 12 on the list, eliminate these people. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's an item that never goes away. Right, you right. Know, did you take care of the guys at the docks? Yeah. Did you guys get the shipment loaded? Uh-huh. Did you guys make sure that, uh, that, that we had the escape? 100%, sir. All right, we got this item down here, number 12, eliminate these runners? Did you kill the adventurers? No. No. They've... They actually defeated our henchmen. <sighs> that's going to become a problem. Bump yeah. them up to number eight on the list. Exactly. <laughs> Until they eventually become number one. And then you're like, you're number two and you're like, okay, I have a thing that I need to get done. And you guys are a huge thorn in my side. Yep. But yep. By then you're making decision, different decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it makes it easy to have them involved. It makes it easy to have them feel like they're involved, regardless of what they're doing. There's a constant thorn there. Yeah. That's affecting them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, the other thing too is that you have to make sure that uh, your
1: players cannot just resolve your villain's grievance for him. Oh my gosh, so many! I've watched so many Reddit threads unravel where people are talking about like, "Well, this is my world, and these are the, this is the villain, and I just need to know if there's any problems." And like, the top thread is like, "So all the players have to do is find the money because mm-hmm. they're poor. That's it." Okay, that's really easy in your in the world design that you you have here. If your villain can be defeated by GoFundMe, <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, it's probably not. Uh, he's probably not the greatest villain. Yeah, but, uh, but who knows? I don't know. I don't know what the scope of your campaign is. You yeah, know.
1: or somebody hurt me. So like, okay, we'll, we'll go him... after him then. Why right. are
0: we going after you? Right, you right. Know? You know, kind You're of the a thing. wronged party.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and that's not even to say like the players agree with them and become part of their side. That's fine. That actually mm-hmm. works out really well in your favor. Because now you have someone who can give them quests and work through a problem. They may not like why or what they're doing, but they're going to lean into it because they agree with them up to a point. And now they're sure. henchmen. Sure. Absolutely. And henchmen are fine. Making your PCs into play- players into henchmen is fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, but but that's that's the big thing is you have to make sure that uh, no matter how personal you make it, um, you you always have to place the PCs and the villains in an irreconcilable irreconcilable position. Yes. against
1: each other yes they, they there has to be the one thing the line yeah the, the, the line p- the PCs point of contention. Not cross that separates them from the villain and and i think this right here you see in those vengeance hero movies mm-hmm. where someone checks them their close friend a lover um you know even sometimes the other villain looks at them like Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> like the, you're crossing a line that I've never seen you cross before, and then they check themselves and realize they've become the villain that they didn't want to be. Uh huh. You know, or worse, or, or or the other way around, the villain becomes the good guy because he realizes either I really suck at being a villain, or two, oh, I'm that guy. Maybe I need to be the hero here. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I love those stories too. But having that opposition point that gets checked that you know is the line that gets drawn in the sand is great. It Mm -hmm. is, it is, it is the point that, you know, you've got it right when the players are like, he's gone too far.
0: Yeah. Having those out, those, those, like, those are some of the, the villain moments that I just love the most. Yeah. where the villain is is doing his little plot exposition thing he's monologuing you know mm-hmm. and he's like and that's why you know this happened to me and the villains go or the heroes go oh you poor soul and he's like yes and then this happened and they're like my heart goes out to you mm-hmm. and he's like and you see that's why i seek justice and like and you, you deserve justice you were so wronged and he's like and that's why i have to destroy everything yeah it's the only way to be sure and they go See, you had me up until that point. Yeah. And if you could literally just walk back from that precipice, you and I might actually get
1: along. The Incredibles. Yeah. Is a great, great delivery of that as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, buddy, buddy turning villain with the point of it was he wanted to get rid of all other heroes except for him. He wanted everyone to be heroes without them. He didn't need them to Mm -hmm. be the heroes anymore. So, and I mean, yeah. I again, I, I kind of see his, kind of see his perspective, but man, then you
0: went and started murdering people and right. I don't know about that.
1: And I think this is, this kind of leads into the fact that heroes tend to stumble upon these types of plots Yeah, when it's a, when it's really villain centric, you're not, you're not just putting the muscle, you know, the mustache twirling villain right in front of them. In fact, they may not even know the villain is the villain. At any point mm-hmm. until they call it out, and that's the that is the hardest part. I think about getting that feeling right, but feeling it, but feeling the greatest about it. Yes, is yes. Is if you can keep your villain in the light of a good guy, doing good, a mm-hmm. good villain, if you will, that when the players stumble across that line of villainy and go, whoa, that guy. Needs to be stopped. That's when you go and you feel that warm part of your chest, like and now the second act starts. Uh huh. You know how how are they going to figure this one out? How are they going to turn everyone else to understanding this guy's a villain?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I think the what I really love about about these sort of sort of things too is that like their plot's already in motion. Yeah. You know, you kind of get them in media's rays. Yeah. Like it's um. When you when you when you start by writing the villain's motivations,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's already going on, and then you you end up with these things like we discussed earlier, where it's like okay. Why are there goblins in the town? Sure. Because there's giants in their caves. Right. Why are there giants in their caves? They de- they're they supposed to be up in the mountains. What's going up in the mountains that's displacing them? Mm-hmm. And then you go up there and you find shit that's already in progress.
1: I mean, maybe like, those caves are now empty and they've been mined clean.
0: Right. It doesn't matter. Like what, Regardless yeah. of what it is, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that, that whatever tipped that off and spilled onto the players' plates you can slowly escalate that as they keep going further and further and further down that proverbial rabbit hole Mm -hmm. until they finally come across your villain,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: who then has no idea who they are. They're just like, oh, oh, and some weird adventurers showed up, whatever, just get rid of them. We're already well underway. We're almost, we've almost succeeded, you know?
1: Uh, And having those uh, plot clocks ticking. Yes, I think is one of the things that you can look at as well is that um, a lot of games talk about these, but it's hard to really describe it. But if you're in your world building phase, you can literally mark the clocks mm-hmm. and ask yourself, where are we in this? Where do yes. I want to drop the players in this? Yes. How do I want these to tick? What what points of progress do I want the players to reach when these moments tick? What do they find? And when they tick, what changes right what's just outside of their reach that changes
0: that's that's the biggest thing for me is that as the villains plans progress you want things to change in the world mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. um i always come back to titanic when i'm thinking of things like this so titanic no, was, t- I, mean, I mean the look the iceberg wasn't a villain no, but the
1: iceberg does what a
0: villain can do to your story.
1: It's an environmental villain.
0: It's an environmental villain. It, it is it is an antagonist mm-hmm. in that it it changes the story in a way that is bad for our protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um but like that movie can be very clearly marked as pre-iceberg post-iceberg. Mm-hmm. When the iceberg hits, that is because something has collided literally and figuratively with the worlds of our protagonists mm-hmm. and fundamentally shifted something in how they understand and interact with reality at that point.
1: And the world is taking the effects, not the characters because mm-hmm. despite what you believe you as the storyteller will never be able to set consequences on your players that have any meaningful value. Mm-hmm. The moment you think you can do that with things that are written on their paper or injuries or something like that to help them understand the weight, you're doing it wrong. That's not gonna weigh onto them. They will feel it by feeling the investments that they have within that world dwindling Mm -hmm. and burning and and having problems. Because as the world falls apart around them or the alien surge gets higher, or their resources that are that are not tangible to them but still available burn away. And the world no longer looks the same. That's what's going to cause them the greatest amount of distress Mm -hmm. without a doubt, without a doubt.
0: All right. So where do we get started? How do we, how we, we talked a lot about why this is a cool idea to do. Right. Where do you start?
1: I will say, and I'm not going to say that this is the right way or the wrong way, Mm -hmm. but usually what I'll say is regardless, uh, of you having a world set up or not. Mm-hmm. If you, maybe you're starting with a villain. Maybe you want to start with a world that you already have. Maybe you have a re- re-existing setting. doesn't matter. What matters is what is the, and I put it in quotes, villain's motivation. What's their primary motivation? Sure. Now, are they a villain yet? Probably not. Do they believe that they are one? They probably have no idea. Yeah. I but mean, the point is... The, the old adage goes, villains are the heroes of their own stories. Right. So start them as a hero. Mm-hmm. Make them feel to you that they are on the right path, that they are doing the right thing. Good, in quote, villains make good stories mm-hmm. because you want to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Make them a hero, make it vengeance, make it hate, make it something that is passionately strong. I mean, you could go as far as calling them a tyrant mm-hmm. or or a... um fanatic Mm -hmm. about something that's fine you can go to those extremes Mm -hmm. but it often helps to start lighter in your design and push to that primary motivation but find what that line is find what they're doing to make that line and make it so strong that they will never break from it
0: Oh god! I should just thought of the uh, the villain from uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Okay. Spoiler alert for a twenty th- five year old game here. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, the the villain basically is the church, um, and like their their whole motivation is getting a hold of these things called the Zodiac Stones, which mm-hmm. actually have like the souls of demons, sure, uh, entrapped in them, and they're going to use those essentially as a power play to destroy both of the the great houses that are warring.
1: Like to stop they, the war. have been
0: warring for the last 30 years. Sure. Exactly. To stop the war. They're like, look at all this bloodshed and destruction. Right. And But neither of them will hear, hear reason. Neither of them will hear peace. What if we just overpowered both of them? Yeah. But we're just a wee little church. What could we do that with? Well, there are these Zodiac Stones, and we've got a handful of them. We could find the rest. Sure, they're demons, but they're more powerful than them. And everybody will unite under us.
1: Yeah, very the Ozymandias yeah. design. Let's we have to bring the world together because if we don't, it falls apart right. every time.
0: And if I just murder, uh, you know, uh, ten million people
1: in various places, in
0: various places, then they'll all unify and decide that we have a common goal. And bam, all it took was ten million people. There's what eight billion people on the planet. Small price to pay. Yeah, point one percent. Yeah,
1: you know it's the it's the Thanos thing. We have a problem. The universe is running out of space. Yeah. We just need to take away half of the people. Once half the people are gone, we'll be just fine. How do we pick those people? We don't. It's random. Yeah. I don't care.
0: It's perfectly fair. Mm-hmm. Perfectly balanced, as yep. all things
1: should be. Yep. No problem. Mm-hmm. Half the people gone. Yeah. I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing
0: this because I'm trying to save you.
1: Yeah. I'm saving yeah. all of you. Yeah, exactly. And your future.
0: And if you would just stop fighting
1: me. Right. I
0: can make sure that the universe prospers. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: I don't need these stones. <laughs> right. They just right. F- solve a problem in the end.
0: Knox, Knox by the way, uh, has <laughs> wrote like a small paragraph <laughs> in the live chat. He's like, "Movie Thanos has the dumbest motivation. You need more resources because there are too many people, and you stumble upon powerful gems that can do anything." Um, literally make more resources with your reality gem. You don't need to kill anyone, at least in the comics, it made sense. You have a crush on death. You want to impress her. You I kill just... half the universe as a romantic gesture. Still dumb, but the movie Thanos motivation just bothers me.
1: I I feel like that was missed. I'm I'm gonna take a, a half sidebar, thank you. I I wanted Thanos to have that love interest as a hidden undertone. I wanted it to be there because it because it did make sense why he was OK with using all of this power mm-hmm. just to get a glimpse of death.
0: When the booty's so fine, you <laughs> murder half the universe. Exactly.
1: Yep. You know, mm. I've been there, you know, and because it makes more sense about his his rise to that point. Like, where does he get the, the, the notion that that even made sense? Like. Hey, I did the math. Well, if you did the math, then you could have done other math, buddy. Right. <laughs> why did you stop at that math? Yeah, why, why was that the end of your math, you, yeah. <laughs> you idiot, you know? But if you're just like, okay, I started by killing a planet. That didn't do anything. Or I started by killing one race. That didn't do anything. So I destroyed the planet. That didn't, that, that got me, like, a view of her ankle, and that was so righteous. <laughs> like Knox you know. says you know who she's dating
0: now Deadpool. Yeah. cool gross yeah. slumming it
1: yeah. <laughs> first off you're wrong people like who they like get over it <laughs> yeah it, yeah everybody's got a type it's fine yeah she she got a type she got a type they they got a type it's death yeah it's death but anyways i digress back to our story regardless <laughs> we need to figure out at what step of the rung of the um, evil, how how big and bad are they? Mm-hmm. Right? So we know their vector. Now it's a matter of where do we want to put them on that line? You can decide that position literally after Session Zero. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because again, th- you the next step you have is, what effect do they have on the world that puts a pebble in the shoe of the characters? Right? What is it that they're directly affecting? Mm-hmm. And That is the decision-making process because putting your villain in front of your characters is a terrible idea. You never want to do that. They're inevitably going to do something stupid to that villain.
0: At least... At least not after you have introduced them as the main villain to the conflict. Correct. You can absolutely be, like, at a party together where nobody has weapons, and the count comes in, and he's like, blah, 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 I kind of hate the king, and they're like, hmm, getting some bad vibes from him, and then later you find out he's the one behind the plot to kill him. Okay, cool. You put your villain in front of them, but they didn't know he was the villain at the time. Right. Okay, but once you make that clear, no, your players absolutely will just try to kill them on
1: first Right.
0: First first viewing.
1: But I think that the thing that gets most caught up in that is that people don't know what happens when their villain finishes. Yeah. What if he wins? And sometimes that's the best point to have your players meet your villain. Like, the bomb went off five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. While you guys were here. Like we've come to this point together. I didn't want you to not be here when it happened. Mm-hmm. Like regardless how you feel about me, like I felt like I owed that to you after yeah. all of this.
0: Oh God. I'm kind of realizing I did this with my poppy
1: King. <laughs> you did. You totally <laughs> did. And the, and the delivery of that moment mm-hmm. made it more real. Yeah. Because we're not changing the world as characters. It's it's our stories. Yeah,
0: you're cleaning up your backyard. That's literally all you were doing.
1: Yeah. Some some
0: weird little uprising in the Colovian Highlands in some little podunk farming communities. Yeah. That was getting way out of hand real quick. Oh but it yeah. Was still a little uprising in some farming communities. Oh yeah.
1: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So uh, and the only time you
0: ever saw the villain villain was when he got bashed over the head, nearly killed and betrayed by his uh by his henchman who stole his crown. Yeah, ran off with it.
1: Yeah. Which is was, again, hilarious. But the whole point of that is, is that you can throttle where that fits in and what then needs to be dealt with after mm-hmm. they're done. um, And and whether or not they're the villain at the end. Yeah. I mean, if they get their vengeance complete and, you know, maybe they don't succeed. Maybe they partially succeed. Right. Mm hmm or they find that the truth of whatever they were doing was a lie. Now it's like, "Oh crap." Right? "I was I was manipulated. Who did, you know, who told you that this was the only way to un, to to get your your wife back?" Well, I I read it from this diary and and these these books. Who gave you those?
0: Emperor Palpatine. Uh-oh. Yeah, what have we learned about that?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that again, that opens that door if mm-hmm. the campaign needs to continue at that point and get bigger. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They can still feel the success of completing what they did, but it opens up the scope to say there are still things that can be done. Yes. And it's not just their story. Their stories are still individualized. This is just the plot that's sitting behind them. Mm-hmm. The world that has been going on around them. Yep. Yep. So...
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about what kind of the pros and cons of this approach are. Where does this work? Where does this not work best?
1: Okay, are we starting with good? I think we're starting with good, yeah. Okay, okay.
0: Okay. All right, so for me, I think this works best when you are tailoring a specific story to your world. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, when
1: you have a firm idea... Story to world. Not world to story. Story to world. Okay. Well,
0: I, I don't know the, the, the relation between them. When you've got a very specific idea for where you want the story to go okay. in your world ah, ah. is all I was saying. Yeah,
1: yeah. okay. Okay. Um, Just being clear.
0: Okay. So, uh, like for me, this I think this method allows you to have so much of your story in place literally from session zero. Um, okay. Yep. You've yeah. got inciting incidents. Mm-hmm. You've got motivations for both your, your villains and your heroes. Sure. You've got bystanders on both sides who will have their motivations of their own mm-hmm. um, as things go on. You've got a potent- potential path to victory for the villain mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. that acts as a linchpin for your campaign. Yes. Okay. Yes. Stop villain from doing the thing mm-hmm. is always a North Star that your heroes can guide on grab onto.
1: And the more things more of those characters that can be wrapped around that linchpin, the stronger its point to be removed is.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, it's a great start on the lore and reasons that, you know, like your it existing in the first place.
1: And because it's because it is a story that requires the lore. Because it's embedded with it.
0: Yes, Anything all of you... these
1: things are events that
0: happened in your world right. already.
1: So, so now any lore that you put out to your players when they ask questions has meaning. There's mm-hmm. a there's a good reason why you're talking about it. Yep. Because it's embedded in the plot. Yep. Um, it does one other thing, and that is, is it can give you an estimation on how long the story. Is going to be because you can set the beats. Yes. You can do those clock ticks. You can decide where in the clock you are. Exactly. You can decide whether it's going to be a, I'm here and, you know, we're, we're coming in after my guy is most of the way through his villainy. And he's just about to finish creating his ultimate weapon to, to basically show the might of his forces versus everyone else. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, so we're here, which means that there's got to be someone who knows about this and is trying to do something about it. It's just too obvious at this mm-hmm. point because secrets can't be kept at that point, right? And
0: our, our main story beats is he tries to use it as a test fire. We mm-hmm. hear about that, and then he's going to use it on the real thing. So there's really only two main story beats that we're going to go from. Yep. One that becomes an inciting incident that brings all of our heroes in, and one that puts our heroes in direct conflict with him as they try to thwart him. Yep. Boom. Perfect. Nice, short story. Yep. But, you you put more ticks on that clock, you put more steps in the villain's plan, you bring in more early motivations, or vicissitudes, or complications, as you want to call them, and suddenly your story can become a lot longer. Yes. And it's very easy to plan those out if you kind of know what that villain's going to try to do. Yeah. And how he's going to try to do it.
1: Yep, 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 yep. I think the stumbling block in that is sandboxing. Oh, yeah. Where players start finding other things to do Mm -hmm. and feeling that this is a requirement to take this care of this problem. I need to go do this other thing too. the side quests to get up to level to be able to go do the thing.
0: Right. Or or even or even just the well, I wrote in my backstory that I'm looking to find my long lost brother. So, right. I know the villain is going to blow up the world probably sometime in the next week, but I really want to find my brother. You know, mm-hmm. and we end up with what we call what I what I like to call the Skyrim problem. Mm. You know, Alduin is going. To, the dragons are back, and Alduin's going to devour the world. Like really soon, if you, the Dragonborn, the one hero that is prophesied and has the power to solve this, doesn't do you know? Doesn't immediately stop him. Cool, but you also. Definitely have time to collect every Nurn root in Blackreach, explore every cave, become the head of the Dark Brotherhood, the Thieves' Guild, the Mages' Guild, the Companions. Get married. Build a house, marry a sexy vampire, raise a kid or two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> marry a sexy vampire. That is a thing. That um, is a sexy thing.
0: vampire that is, that is voiced by Laura Bailey, by the way. I mean, there's mm. no, again,
1: nothing wrong with that. No, there is with everything that. right with that, Rob. But at the same time, and I think this is one of the greatest parts about us being able to talk about these things, is that you can do a villain as an opening to a sandbox. And that is really cool because you can use that villain's staging to open up all the other problems that exist. Um, or even as a guide to said problems. Um, one of the ones that I was talking to you about earlier was um, Silas in uh, um, Horizon uh, Zero Dawn.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He
1: hasn't got. I, I bought it, but it's sitting in my Steam library. Yeah. If you're interested in a really good story, uh-huh. I highly recommend people play this. After you're done playing it, go watch the videos where people put the timeline together yeah. and and talk about the the heroes and villains of the story. It's really well done. Um, but that character presents himself in a very manipulative, villainous way. Mm-hmm. But the whole time he is guiding. This other, this hero, effectively through the story, through different manipulations, conversations, they never really make contact. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason for that, as a a villain character, and why that is so powerful, is because it allows you to have the villain shine the light on everything else lore-wise in the world that is weird to present what the story is. Mm -hmm. And then when he is done either by the hand of the heroes or whatever plot or machinations he's done with. Is he really a villain or just a gray misguided dude who you're like, you did a lot of bad things. But at this point in time, like you also uncovered a lot of stuff cause you're smart and you needed me mm-hmm. and I would never have followed you from day one. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: the big question at the end is, are you a villain or are you just a dick?
1: And if you can get to that point and have now an open world to go explore and mess around with, or another plot following that right up where he's like, and now you understand my concern. Yeah. I didn't know what this flashing red light was until you just figured it all out. hmm But I knew that flashing red light and the countdown timer was bleeding up to something. Yep. And I needed that answer, and you're the only person who could tell me what it translated to. hmm Thanks. And you're like, you're, you're a jerk. Yeah, I hate you. What are we now going to do about that? I, I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think that far. <laughs> like and, and me. I didn't put it there. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's sometimes that's a great place to open a sandbox world of like, okay, now what? Yeah, yeah. You know, now I'm not going to say that is it also a bad, not a bad place to just end your campaign right there and let your players be like. <sighs> Ooh. Oh, no, my I brain oh, just keeps going, you know? I would
0: hate that more importantly, your wife would hate. My that. wife
1: would absolutely hate it if I left a story hanging like that. Yeah. Uh, I think the the, the the
0: the the big one for me actually is Final Fantasy VII. Okay. Uh, Final Fantasy did this did this uh, Final Fantasy 7 uh, not, not my favorite, but did this really well. Um, if you bought the, 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 the PlayStation one version of it, I don't know, I don't know what iterations it's in now. Yeah. I I had
1: the PlayStation one version with all the, all the CDs. Yes. it It was
0: a four disc thing. Right. Um, and disc one was entirely in the city of Midgard. Yeah. And, uh, it was this whole thing with, uh, this terrorist or terrorist, uh, freedom fighter group called yeah. the returners fighting against this evil mega corporation that owned and ran the city, which was this gigantic thing called a Mako reactor, which was siphoning life energy to create electricity for the entire dystopian city, et cetera, et cetera. They had all these weird experiments going on and whatnot, um,
1: Couple but on basically, payroll.
0: the entire the entire thing was all took place in Midgard,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it's only basically at the point at which you like something really catastrophic happens, um, and you basically decide, okay, we need to get out of here and go do something else outside of Midgard. That it turns a disc two,
1: yeah,
0: um, and so you absolutely can use if you want to play a sandbox game. You 100% can use a very carefully crafted villain's story to kind of guide them through, like, okay, you guys are these heroes, you're in direct opposition to this villain, this villain has all sorts of things going on, all the elements of our plot wrap around this villain in this tidy little Mm -hmm. story that's going on right here, and now that you've defeated him... Welcome to the world. You're level 5, welcome to the world, go play. Mm -hmm. It's now a sandbox... Yeah. Um, you have a bunch of NPCs that you know now, mm-hmm. both good and bad. You may have some recurring villains, mm-hmm. uh, like the Turks are a great example of that. Yeah. Like you you run, you know, R- Reno, Rude, uh, Elaine, you run into them Multiple. several times throughout the rest of the story. Yeah. But the reason they're important to you is because you run into them two or three times in, the, in, in disc one. Mm-hmm. And they become thorn. They establish themselves as thorns in your side. Mm-hmm. You go out into the world, and then, you know, things are happening seemingly not related to Midgard at all. And then all of a sudden, boom! Here come these Shinra lackeys mm-hmm. up in your grill, and you're like, "Ah, oh, crap! It's you guys." Mm-hmm. And like I've said about recurring villains in the past, or any really re- recurring NPC, you've already got the investment. Mm-hmm. So instead of it just being who are these fools, it's oh, it's
1: you. Yeah. I love the oh, it's you. That's mm-hmm. the some of the greatest feelings that you can have at the table is the oh, it's you. Yeah, it's as strong as the oh, yeah. it's that one guy. You know, kind of a thing.
0: So yeah, you've basically stocked the pond with a bunch of NPCs, and you've given your 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 PCs some really great trajectory. Mm-hmm. You've given them a villain, an actual villain to like. Forge themselves against and in the fire of. Mm-hmm. You've given them decisions, hard decisions that they may have had to make up until that point, which will lead to some great character development. And then you unleash them in the world for your sandbox. Yep. Great. I love it.
1: Have a nice time. Mm-hmm. So. And now, now that you've finished the tutorial. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think we thoroughly killed that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, killing it since 2018 It's true It's true uh, Nevim Nevum had a few questions and subject had questions uh, had a question or yeah, sure yeah two or two that I think were definitely hard topic um Nevim, how uh, how villains plots differ from story plots um realistically uh, for me mm-hmm. a story plot is something that can be dropped in regardless of what's going on Yeah. It is, it is kind of a, its own adventure, and can sometimes be world agnostic, even. Like, it doesn't have to be bound to the hard lore of your world, because it is a story within itself. And stories kind of are the same. Um... Whether it's got a lot of interlinking with your lore and things like that, that's great. But the truth of the matter, the core of the story, is going to come down to what story you're trying to tell. Whereas a villain's story is just that. It's your players involved in someone else's story and how they make an impact on that person mm-hmm. and their story. So that's that's it's always from the perspective of the villain. When you're talking about it to your players, they're just seeing scenes in that other person's story. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. the key difference.
0: It's it's the parts of the scene that spill of the villain story that spill over and land in your vi- on your hero's plates. Yep, yeah.
1: yep, yeah. yep. It's the waves that he makes or mm-hmm. or they make. So,
0: uh, next question is uh, how to inter- uh, intertwine a villain's perspective with the hero's ones. <laughs> now, I I am reading this to under to to to. to uh, be understood as uh, how do you show the heroes through the villain's point of view, essentially. Okay. Um, now, you have done this pretty effectively in some of your 7C games. Yes. Uh, I actually don't think I've seen you do this for a while, I have not.
1: I have not. Because I didn't establish it in my, my D&D game at all. Yeah, true, uh, true It true. didn't feel like it should be established, but I would... I I dare say if I ever brought back around another villain's plot or another long a long campaign story, I will probably end up using those again. Mm-hmm. And effectively what they were were they were meanwhile scenes. Yeah. You know, where like literally this isn't has nothing to do with the players. I am literally narrating a scene somewhere else mm-hmm. that is happening. Um so that the players get a perspective of like You know, in this dark tower, torture is happening and you're hearing screams and a specific individual is being requested to say, what was their name? Give us the names. And they just cry out into the night, you know, Sylvia. Okay, great. You know that the person's a pirate and you know they're being tortured clearly by some inquisitorial people, but you're not sure what that was all about. But you know the villain was there watching the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So the players know things that their characters don't. And in that, there are two ways to look at it. Either the villain's perspective comes out as a precursor to events that are coming up, some small piece of information that eventually that scene makes a lot more sense for. Mm-hmm. Like Sylvia, you find out, is someone they meet who is this, you know, nice, I don't know. Uh, you know, a duchess who takes care of them and helps them get to this other castle and, you know, gets them a ship that they need. And eventually she's able to reunite with her father, right? Only to find out that she's actually the villain's henchman and girlfriend. And the whole reason why she needed to get her father back is he was in hiding Mm -hmm. from the villain because he has information. He's like Da Vinci, right? And that was a bad thing. Like, and now she's brought exactly what her lover needs. Sure, sure. Because she loves him so much. And so you're like, oh crap, those pirates worked for her, and the Inquisition was trying to figure out what was really going on. Mm. Are they our friends or enemies? Who are they? And so that opens up that framework. (laughs) A secret third thing. Right. (laughs) So... When you do these scenes, which are not necessarily easy to do, they can bring up the framework of what's going on. Another good way of doing it is uh, like The Incredibles did, Mm -hmm. where you're dealing with a scene where the players, again, it's, it's a hard move. It's happening just a few inches outside of reach. Yeah. You know, but a whole conversation occurs where the players get 100% privy on what's going on behind the screen mm-hmm. right and when they eventually do are allowed to walk into that space and examine it they get the rest of the story yeah you know yeah. oh oh he was at the terminal he left it on because so and so was here to come meet him the players were coming to meet him you know and so now like, the conversation you hear is, you know, did we finish phase two? Yes, it's online and we'll be ready in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to launch and everything will be on schedule. Great. Is anything going to stop the countdown? No. You know, it's happening Uh, it's happening on four different locations. Great. They walk out the door, you go in, you look, and you realize that phase one was eliminate all superheroes. Phase two is launch the super weapon on the city. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: <laughs> like, right right
1: like, oh, oh i'm in the bad guy's lair crap 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 you know <laughs> so it's those kinds of moments that you you present in those flavors so that the villain can get their monologue out without it being a fight where you can see why they're doing what they're doing and their drive and motivation without seeing the emotional reaction that the players present
0: i i have always been a big fan of uh the, the the recruitment speech. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where the, uh, the villains recognize that the heroes are present, and that they stand against them, and that they are powerful. And their response to that is, why are we fighting? You guys are awesome. You could be helping me, because my cause is righteous. Mm-hmm. You know? You guys want to do what's right, right? So do I. You should help me do the right thing, which yeah. is the villainous thing that I'm trying to do. Right. And... That's That puts you in a really nice position to parlay
1: mm-hmm. with
0: them, and it allows you to tip your hand a bit, mm-hmm. uh, which which gives you some really good perspective on the on the villain's inner thinkings. When she's just outright explaining them to you and going, this is the thing I'm trying to accomplish. Don't you want to sign on to that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bam. Instantly done. And if you can't do it through your villain, do it through intermediaries. Storebot is fine.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: I yeah. think I did, I did both of those in the Skingrad plot. I think you did. Yeah. I think you, you did. The 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 villain realized you were chasing her down so she sent her minions to go work with you cuz she thought that you had a sympathetic ear. Yep. They're like, "Hi, we're here to help."
1: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Um next question. When designing villain plots, what kind of questions should we have in our mind to try and answer? I think we kind of went over this uh motivation.
0: Yeah, yeah. What what are they trying to accomplish and
1: why are they trying to accomplish it? Right.
0: And how do they justify
1: it in right. their own head? How is it fine? Yeah. How is this the only way to do it? Yes, exactly. Why is this the thing that the math worked out to? Yeah, and then the second question coming into that is where do they sit on the scale? How far are they in the in the power scale or depth scale of their of their actions? Mm-hmm. And then. How far where, along
0: in their plan are they? Where
1: where does the where does that line intersect with the group? Yes. How is how is it touching the bubble of their world hard enough that they can't ignore it? Mm-hmm. You know. Hmm. Um. Is as, as it was once put uh, in a really great comment. Uh, when cooking the players in the plot, do not cook them like a frog where you slowly turn up the water. They will never notice the plot is heating up until it's too late. Okay sometimes you need to throw something hard at them so that they recognize it and wake up and then go what through that mm-hmm. and that's the that's the better analogy always
0: <laughs> i think you're very right about that <laughs> i think you're very You're right
1: smiling at that. me and i, I can feel Saturday, sunday picking at my brain so yep um so subject then added is is it better to have a villain's plot that it's gray or very black and white Meaning, should we feel for the villain because he is evil for good reasons, or should we want to defeat him because he is evil evil? In my personal opinion, it doesn't matter. You can do both. You can do either. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, either they're, works. There, there are two different types of very viable stories. One hundred percent. The mustache twirling villain
1: absolutely
0: has a place in your story,
1: without a doubt. Even um, if they're dumb, it yeah, doesn't matter.
0: Sure, absolutely. Um, and, and, and I, I think like. The, the, the black and white villain makes for a very good, like, pulpy story mm-hmm. um, where, you know, uh, heroes are heroes and villains are villains and, you
1: know... Uh, but you, like, I think you still need to ask yourself the same questions. Oh, you absolutely still need to realize why your villain is yeah. the villain. Reco- re- reconcile the villain regardless. <laughs> but it
0: is okay to make them a little cartoonishly evil. Sure. If if that is the type of story that you're trying to tell. On the other hand, if you're trying to tell a story that like you really want your uh your players to think about like what are the deep motivations going on here? Where are the moral gray areas in this absolute ethical landmine field that that is laid before us? you know, if you want them thinking about those things, then a gray villain is absolutely the way you want to go or a
1: villain who believes that they
0: are right. Yeah. Multiple times in the story, you want your players to go like, Oh God, I kind of see his point. Mm-hmm. Wait, does that make me a villain? No, 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 no.
1: Yeah. I think, I think for me, the idea of evil for evil is it's, it, it only works when they are tyrannical or their ideology it's just hard. Zealots. Yeah. yeah. If you make them a zealot. The zealot, the monster, those mm-hmm. are really good archetypes. For... Yeah. And, and just make sure you stick to those. Just make sure you stick to those. Give them something that the one thing that will turn them around is something that is almost intangible. Or at one time it was and now it isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that part of them has been burned away. The off switch is no longer there. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can show them the off switch when it existed. You know, it's like your daughter would never like this. Yeah, but she's dead. Right. Right. And it's like, OK, well, that off switch got broken years ago. Mm-hmm. We're just on all the time now. You know, and I I think that's when when you have evil for evil, one, that's one of the best ways to do it. Otherwise, sure. Make sure that the players and and I think this is the other part of it. If you want your players to be able to have an impact on the story, the villain needs to be a person. It needs to have motivations and drive and understanding so that the players can understand them and make those decisions. And then it really is cooperative storytelling. You're giving them options. They're coming up with options and you're accepting those options. There's nothing to say that they can't turn that villain around or side with them or run them through, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be so hope that answers the question Mm -hmm. so alright I think we've thoroughly murdered this topic absolutely next week we have a system spotlight
0: yeah now this is one you
1: pulled up I don't think I've even looked at this one yet I've seen it bounced around on um, r slash rpg and a few other places and like a lot of commentary about it Uh, and that is Monster Care Squad Um, I've been interested in it because like someone said uh, you know it's 10% 10% Pokemon in in, in in its belief stuff, because apparently it's like there's a tranquil world that got messed up, and there's, like, poisons, and, like, you're caring for monsters, but there's other things going on. So there's a lot of storytelling elements, mm-hmm. but it's all about, like, care and understanding, yet not... And I'm like, I'm too interested. I need to dig into this one a little bit deeper, because I've seen some very different stories being told yeah. in Monster Gear Squad, but at the same time, everybody's just like, they're really good.
0: Well, dig into it we will yes. in uh, precisely one uh, One week. Uh, one week? we will be back with monster care squad in our next system spotlight in the meantime you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night at 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and join us up on our discord we'd love to uh, hear from you uh, bounce some story ideas off the other great storytellers that are there share pictures of your uh, of your your miniatures uh, you know whatever um we, uh, you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com.
1: We'd like to thank all our Patreon members who support us, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, of Mosen, Veteran Hulavu, and Sean. We appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems uh, or on Instagram at arcaneanthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.paincamp.com or on YouTube. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by a Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org.
0: And a big shout out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving thank and supporting you. us. All of our friends who sat at our Tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.